Just by way of introduction, my name's Matt Gregory. Um, this year I'll have been coming to this church for 20 years, so I'm becoming one of the old timers, <laughs> as my kids frequently uh, tell me. Uh, I'm married, I've got four children, uh, and by way of earning a living, I'm a leadership development consultant running my own business. The topic today is um, I've been thinking about. Well, one of the things I've been thinking about, because I've been um, doing a piece of work with an international oil company, looking at the whole issue of inclusive leadership. And in this particular program, we look at two things. One is we look at how unconscious bias, I, the way that our brain works and the way we think and make decisions, how that combines with group dynamics and in-groups and out-groups, and how collectively it leads to a whole series of, of small behaviours that can either include or exclude people from, from groups and, and communities. And as part of this programme, we, we get people to actually think about a time when they were in a minority and to do some work thinking about how that felt. And I was doing this one programme and this, this person was um, telling me about this time when he was working on an oil rig off the coast of America, the south coast of America, and he was the only British person there, uh, and he was there for three weeks, so it's quite an intensive situation in terms of working and living and sleeping with the same people, there's kind of nowhere to, to run away, so to speak, if you're not getting on with folks. And um, he was telling me that... Uh, he, at the end of the two weeks, they were having dinner one, one evening after a day's drilling, and um, one of the guys asked him whether or, or when he prayed. And he said, I, I don't believe in God. He said, so I, I, I don't pray or read the Bible. And, and this person he was chatting to explained that everybody else on the rig were, were Christians, and that's what they did. And... For the last week of this, um, this three-week assignment, because of what he'd said, nobody spoke to him apart from in connection with work in that entire week. Which, um, I've got to say, when I heard that, I, I personally immediately felt a sense of real upset and sadness at just how, how that individual felt. And, and in particular, that it was Christians, people like you and me, that were, do, that were basically excluding him because he wasn't part of the club or part of the in-group, which is part of the language we use on this course. And um, I mean, I find that really shocking and, and, and incredibly sad. And I kind of thought, for that individual, what is the likelihood that they're going to go anywhere near a Christian church again? Uh, and answer, in all probability, it's quite low because of what Christians have actually done to that individual. And um, the question that I've been thinking about is, is it possible that we, and, and me as well, because this is about individuals as well as groups, is it possible that we do that to people in this community of believers, that perhaps unintentionally we, we exclude people um, and make it hard for them to be part of us? And what I want to do uh, in this time that I'm talking with you is, um, 
is to consider just in a bit more detail what I'm talking about in terms of inclusion and exclusion, how it happens. And then I want to talk about why I believe it's actually central to the kingdom of God, this whole notion of actually being uh, inclusive, particularly around people that are in a minority, um, and some really practical ways that we both include and exclude people. Um, and to be asking yourself that, that question, um, what potentially do I do that includes and excludes? Because I suppose to, in terms of context, for me, when, for, for somebody to enter the kingdom of God and become a Christian, we know that there's kind of two processes that need to happen. One is there's the individual conversion where somebody be, becomes convinced through God's revelation that they need Jesus as their saviour and they make a decision to say, yes, I commit to following Jesus. That's part of the conversion process. There's another part as well, which is actually becoming involved in a, a community of believers. And there's a lot of research that shows that the first can happen, but if people don't very quickly feel included in a community like this, then no matter how powerful the conversion experience, then quite possibly they'll drift away, either from the kingdom of God or certainly that particular church, and they'll try and find somewhere that is more inclusive. So um, just to kind of begin to personalise this, uh, uh, and we do this exercise um, on this particular course, what I'd like to do is to actually think about for yourself a time when you felt you were in a minority. Preferably in a church context, but if not, anywhere in your life. So it's a group situation, and, and for, uh, for whatever reason, you felt that you were in a minority. And what I'd like you to just consider as you're thinking about that situation, I mean, maybe it was you were joining a new group and everyone seemed to know each other and you were the only person that didn't seem to know that, uh, people. It could be that um, in some way you just felt different to the rest of the people and you were very conscious of that and therefore you felt you were in a minority. What I'd like you to consider is how did that actually make you feel in that situation? So how did you feel? And then consequently, what did that lead you to do in that situation in terms of the way you behaved? And just to give a personal example, and this can be quite you know, small occurrences. I mean, th this particular one is one that occurs for me quite regularly, which is whenever I pick up my daughter from school, um, I don't do it very regularly, uh, so I don't tend to know the people, that, that, you know, the parents that mingle there. Uh, by virtue of the fact I'm male, uh, it means that I'm in a minority immediately. And I'm sure many women who work in organisations, particularly in management, are probably saying, get used to it, that's my life, a lot of the time. Um, and certainly most of the programmes that I run for this oil company, there's usually out of 25 people, two or three women, so they're immediately in a minority. Uh, but in this situation, um, so I go along, and what, what tends to happen is people seem to be in quite tight-knit conversations they obviously know each other. Uh, I don't know hardly any of the parents. So suddenly I'm stood there just sort of feeling very self-conscious uh, while people are talking. And I'm kind of feeling like I want to go and um, start a conversation with people, but I'm concerned about, that, about how that could be misinterpreted, uh, particularly as quite a few of the women I find quite attractive. Um, LAUGHTER so it's, it's kind of, I don't want to send the wrong signal. So typically I just tend to 
stand there and when the kids come out, it's like, oh, thank goodness for that, you know, and I lavished lots of attention on my child that's now suddenly alleviated this, this self-consciousness. Um, so I feel very self-conscious, I feel excluded. What does that lead me to do? Well, it just leads me to stand there uh, uh, and to do nothing really. Interestingly, people in that situation who are all chatting, looking at me, probably interpret that behavior very differently. So they probably look at me and think, oh, he's very aloof, you know, or, or, or he's very unfriendly and cold and withdrawn. Um, so the interpretation of what's going on is just so totally different to the way that I'm actually feeling, which has led me to behave in a very self-contained and withdrawn kind of way. Um, and this is a concept called fundamental attribution error, which, which essentially, <laughs> one, that, one obviously you're familiar with, uh, essentially what it's saying is the reasons that we attribute for someone's behavior uh, are quite often flawed. The way we attribute um, or think about ourselves is often quite th- flawed. There was a recent survey in America um, where people were asked to say if they th- thought they were hotter than the average American. 72% of people said they thought they were hotter than the average, which of course is impossible. Fundamental attribution error. Um, apparently there's been countless surveys done where they ask a husband and a wife, what percentage of the housework do you think you do? <laughs> And it virtually always comes to more than 100. <laughs> so the way we perceive ourselves is, is fundamentally flawed. Um, so, yes, yeah, so, so, so in any social context, th- this kind of in-group, out-group thing is going on where there are certain people that tend to be in the majority, there are certain people that tend to be in the minority. It's virtually impossible. So even in this social context of a church, it's going to happen. I mean, it's constantly shifting. So, so in certain groups... Uh, it could be you're part of the worship group, you're in the majority, you're, you're well established, but then you go to your, your sort of life group, you're a new joiner, you're in the out group, you perhaps don't feel as included. And that clearly has, um, ha- has a consequence. Interestingly, um, you might be thinking as I'm talking, what's, what's he going on about this, this kind of in-group, out-group thing? I, I, I'm not aware of being in any in-groups. Interestingly, that's one of the signs of being in the in-group, is that you're invisible to the fact that you're in it. So when people start talking about cliques and, you know, and feeling excluded, you're kind of thinking, what, what are they on about? Um, and of course, we tend to be blind to our privileges. There was a survey done where a number of people were asked to look in the mirror and to say what they saw. So an American woman who uh, was an immigrant and was black... When she was asked to look in the mirror, she said, what I see is a black woman. A white American woman was asked uh, uh, the same question. She said, I see a woman. A man was asked the question, a white man. He said, I see a person. And the point is, we tend to identify and see those those points of, of our experience where we tend to feel excluded. And we tend to be blind to the privileges that we enjoy by virtue of being part of the in-group or, or included. So I guess just to start bringing this a bit closer to home, what I'd like you to imagine is, just say that you came to Zion in disguise <laughs> so people didn't know you. It's a bit like one of these back-to-the-shop-floor TV programs, you know, 
where the boss dresses up and he gets to see what's really going on in the organisation because, you know, he's so um, in the water, he can't see the water of what's going on in the organisation. I wonder what it would be like actually coming into this, this community, this organisation. I wonder what the experience would be. I mean, it may be that you're here as a visitor and you can actually talk about that from a first-hand perspective. I mean, I know from talking to, to some people, they've had a very warm, welcoming experience of, of, being part, of, of coming to, to Zion. But I know, speaking to other people, they've actually found it incredibly difficult trying to break into this social grouping, you know, where people seem to know each other. They feel excluded. They feel part of the outgroup. They don't know the rules of the game. And, um, and therefore, it's hard and of course, unless you're quite committed or you've got people supporting you, then what's going to happen is you typically won't come back. So um, this starts to become quite important in terms of how we as a community treat people, how we grow or don't grow. And, um, and therefore, it becomes, for me, quite a significant issue. And of course, this issue was alive in, in Jesus' day, you know, in groups and out groups. There was a group that was in and had power. Who do you think that was? Yeah, the Pharisees. So, that, so I mean, that's one of the other things that the in-group does is they decide what the rules are, and if you break them, often you get to know about it fairly quickly. Um, of course, the beautiful thing about Jesus was he actually challenged the in-group. I mean, if you turn to um, Luke 13... ...verses... 10 to 17. Let's just uh, read this and see what's going on. So, on a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, and a woman was there who'd been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you're set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, uh, to Jesus, uh, there are six days for work, so come and be healed on those days and uh, uh, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, you hypocrites. Doesn't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? then shouldn't this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has kept bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? And when he said all this, all his opponents were humiliated, but the people were delighted with all the wonderful things he was doing. And this is one of the great things, I mean, quite often what happens with in-groups and out-groups or people with power, because it's typically people who've got power that are part of the in-group and set the rules, is when somebody actually challenges it, um, it's kind of like the underdog wins. It's, 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 it's exciting, and um, obviously people enjoyed, enjoyed that experience of, of, of him doing that. So in terms of just bringing this back to um, the kingdom of God, because I appreciate on one level I'm talking about something quite conceptual, albeit it's in our experience, because I suspect most of you could probably think of a time when you were in a, in a minority. You know, does this really matter in terms of the, the kingdom of God? My contention is it's actually right at the heart of the kingdom of God in terms of it, it, 
including people in the minority, outcasts, who in some way feel excluded. And um, I mean, if you turn to the Old Testament to start with, to Leviticus 19, what I find interesting is it's enshrined, this whole notion of caring for the outsider, it's enshrined in the heart of Old Testament law. So if you look at Leviticus 19, verses 9 and 10, I mean, really practical in terms of the agricultural laws of the day. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien. And just in case you're not clear about how serious this is, I am the Lord your God, (laughs) which is kind of a way of saying this is serious. So it, it's a really practical way of, of, of caring for those that are in the minority, that are excluded, that are on the edges, that it's very easy to overlook. And because of that, that they often don't have a voice where they can speak up and challenge. I mean, similarly, if, um, if you look at Leviticus 19, verses 33 and 34... So whatever you see in the word, the, the word alien, it's not talking about science fiction. It's, it's talking about people that often through, through war, through personal tragedy, have been displaced from their home nation. And they're basically refugees. They're in the outgroup. They're in the minority. What he says here is, when an alien lives with you in your land, do not ill-treat him, which is very easy to do. The alien living with you must be treated as one of your native-born. Love him as yourself, for you were aliens in Egypt. And again, you get this phrase, I am the Lord your God, which is kind of, this is serious. So this appears to be something that is, is right at the heart of what is God's kingdom? It's about including people that feel excluded. It's about reaching out to those that feel on the margins, in the minority in some way, and actively including them. And Jesus actually tells a parable in, uh, in Luke chapter 14 where, where he, he kind of builds on this point in a New Testament context. Luke chapter 14, verses 12 to 14. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers, or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. He's effectively saying the same thing. Reach out to those that are marginalized, those that are part of the outgroup, those that perhaps don't necessarily feel popular or attractive, but actually reach out to them. And he goes on in Matthew 22 to actually use the same metaphor and actually says the kingdom of God is like this. You look in Matthew 22, starting at verse 1. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who'd been invited to the banquet to tell them to come. Probably those in the in-group, people like me. But they refused to come. 
Then he sent some more servants and said, tell those who've been invited that I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants, ill-treated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his army and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone you find. So the servants went out into the streets and gathered all the people they could find, both good and bad, and the wedding hall was filled with guests. And I think that's a similar picture that Jesus is talking about in terms of saying, what is the kingdom of God like? Actually, what it's like is a place where the marginalized people that often feel excluded are welcome, and not only welcome, are, are, are invited. I guess the question is, how do we respond to people that are not part of this in-group? People that, we don't, that perhaps we don't automatically see and feel a natural warmth towards. And again, just to, just to really kind of drive this point home, in Matthew 25, a very famous passage, Jesus is talking about, so what's, you know, how will people be judged? How will their lives be judged when they end up before Jesus at the end of the age, the end of their days on this earth? It's back to how we use our time. And he says this, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he'll sit on his throne all the, all the nations will be gathered before him and he'll separate the people one from another, sheep and goats. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry, see you as a stranger? I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. And of course, the bit that I'm focusing in particular there is is strangers, people that potentially aren't part of our in-group, aren't part of this community, but perhaps come in, invited by a friend, how are they treated? And of course, um, I suppose on one level, whenever people come into this place as, as visitors or guests, they're, they're instinctively asking the question, is this love that they're talking about, is this inclusion, is this, you know, this family of God, is it real or is it just words? Because the words are very easy to, to, to speak. And of course, on one level, people's initial experience, when they walk up the stairs and come in here, or come to one of the, of the sort of social invitations that you invite them to, but particularly when they come here, in one sense, it's quite easy to make people feel welcome. Because if, if we're well organized, which I believe we are, then it's quite easy to give people that initial sense of being welcomed at the door and, okay, people are pleased to see me. But then, of course, if they come again, that's when it tends to get a lot harder. 
Because essentially, it's people's experience of you and me and the way that we treat them, which essentially is much more an indication of our attitudes and our hearts. And, and I know there's people here who are absolutely brilliant at this, actually looking for and being really welcoming of, of people that, that are clearly new to this, this place. There's others of us, and I, and I put myself in that category, who are not so good. And of course, it's very easy when you, when you come here just to be focused on, you know, talking to the people that you know. Um, that sense of, you know, it's a nice sense of being part of something and being included. But to what extent am I actually looking for people, potentially, that aren't included? And, and in some way are wondering, is this a place that is genuine or is it somewhere that talks a good game? And interestingly, I mean, on one level, how does inclusion and exclusion happen? I mean, partly, I think it's about attitude. So, So on one level, if you've got the intention to be inclusive, then I think that will often lead to all the behaviors that tend to include people. But there's also something about being mindful of what are some of the things that we do and don't do that lead people to feel included or excluded. And, and some of it is really quite basic stuff. Um, we talk on this course, we call it micro-behaviors because often they're so small that when you're doing it, you f- it doesn't feel that significant. But of course, when you're on the receiving end of it, particularly if it's time and time again, then it starts to build up and become part of your experience. So um, there's three categories. There's nonverbal behaviours. There's verbal behaviours, like things we say, and and there's also cognitive or mental things that that, that go on that can lead people to feel excluded. So just starting with the nonverbal thing. I mean, if you're in a group and you're new to that group, um, perhaps it's a conversation that's taking place and you're trying to kind of get noticed. One of the ways that we can exclude people is not giving them any eye, co- uh, any eye contact, not actually facing them. So you've probably heard this phrase called giving people the cold shoulder. Um, and that's what we're talking about here, where physically if someone is coming in, we don't actually turn to include them. We actually don't even acknowledge their presence and coming in to that situation. We don't notice them. And you might think, Matt, come on, this is really basic stuff. We, you know, we wouldn't do that, surely. I actually know somebody who's no longer part of this church, and one of the reasons they gave is, nobody notices me. You know, I try and break into conversations, and nobody gives me any eye contact. Nobody acknowledges me. I feel invisible. <laughs> Why would I want to worship in a place where I just feel insignificant and invisible? That person is no longer part of this community because of that experience of being excluded. I mentioned there are some verbal behaviours. So verbal things that can lead people to feel excluded is, is not inviting them to talk, n- not asking them questions, um, not encouraging them to, to be involved in things. And when they do say things, not actually building or, or acknowledging what they're saying. And again, you might think, Surely that's so basic, we wouldn't do that. (laughs) But if you cast your mind back to the situation where you felt in a minority, I bet you experienced some of those things that were going on. 
again, in terms of that, that second clump, I know somebody in this church who is no longer part of one of the groups in this church, and the reason they gave is because they didn't feel, um, in terms of those verbal behaviours, that anybody was paying them any attention. Nobody asked them any questions. There were lots of kind of jokes and in-groups and conversations going on. When they tried to, they were ignored. That led them to think, well, what's the point? I'm clearly not welcome in this group. They're not part of it anymore. So these, these may seem like small things, um, but they're things that have an impact, particularly when you're on the receiving end of it, time and time again. The kind of metaphor that we talk about is, for somebody doing it, it's like a tiny drop of water. It's, it's inconsequential. But when you're on the receiving end of it, all these drops of water suddenly become a bucket on the head. Um, and it takes a lot of resilience and determination to keep being part of something where you experience and, and, and feel that. So whilst it's easy to dismiss it, and often these things are unconscious, they are significant. And the final piece I mentioned is, co- is cognitive or, or mental. So people that tend to be on the outgroups, one of the ways that we exclude them is we often forget information about them. We forget details, important details about that person. We may even forget their name, which is subtly communicating a message that says, you're not important. You don't matter to me. Um, I'm not saying it overtly, um, but that is what I'm subtly saying. You know, when people consistently forget my name, forget, you know, single married, what I, you know, that's the third time you've asked me what I do for a living. Um, it's kind of sending a message that says, you're not important to me. Um, and of course, that, that, that leads people to, to feel excluded. So the question I, I ask you to, um, to challenge yourself with is, to, to what extent do you do some of those things? Because what we know is that when you're part of the majority, it's quite possible that unconsciously you will be doing some of those things and leading people to feel excluded. And just to give the flip side in terms of also how, I suppose, potent this can be in in drawing people in to this community, to the kingdom of God. Um, I mean, this is a personal example that makes me feel very proud of the church. And my mum, unfortunately, was bereaved about just over two years ago. And and has been finding it incredibly difficult because, because she's used to being in social situations with somebody else. Suddenly, she's on her own. She's feeling, in a minority, quite excluded. The people that have made her feel most welcome in terms of the different groups that she's part of are Christians and churches. And that's had a huge impact on her and, and in terms of where she is with, with regard to God. And it, it's not somebody preaching the gospel at her. It's not somebody talking about truth. It's actually somebody living love, inclusion, caring in a really kind of practical way. Interestingly, the tennis club she goes to has had a similar impact because it's a community of people that, that have actually have actively tried to include her in, in, in different things. And it's had a similar effect in terms of warmth towards something. 
So just in kind of beginning to um, draw, draw things to a close, I guess the challenge that, that, that I want to bring to you is, um, or the question to, to be considering for yourself, is how actively inclusive are you of people that perhaps drift towards the margins of groups that you're involved in? Not only in a church context, but in, in the whole of your life. And like I said before, I know certain people here are, are extremely good at it because I've seen them doing it. I've seen them reaching out, drawing people in, being concerned for people that are on the margins. But equally, I know of people, in terms of their actual experience, uh, they haven't experienced or felt that. And that's had a big impact on them. 